little bit of defense to win it back. Oh, lifted forward from Nolito, settling in the box. It's Aspas. He got it over Courtois, but he couldn't get it past Nacho. Well, it's a Marge Simpson type haircut, this finish. It's a really, you put your money and your mortgage on Aspas going there. Brilliant ball to find him. Asensio against Araujo. Yeah. Across the face of goal to Lucas Vasquez, who puts a smile on Madridistas' faces. He's there again. Lucas, after an incredible opportunity, it's Lucas that's in the end of it. But look at this beautiful ball searching over the top from Hello and welcome to the first Managing Madrid podcast of 2021. We are here about one and a half hours after Real Madrid take care of business against an interesting and dramatically improved Celta after uh, a much delay from Mad and Om. Uh, they're coming up with silly reasons to push the recording later. Things like, oh, but if we record at 6 p.m., how can I cook my rice and eat it? Meanwhile, our uh, poor patrons are waiting for our post-game content. So anyways, we made it. We're here joining me, Kian Sobani, on a video call tonight. Our Omarvin and Matt Wilsey, gentlemen, how you doing? Hey, Kian. Yeah, I mean, we uh, we had a six o'clock time frame, and then all of a sudden it was six fifteen, six twenty, six thirty. But we're here. We're here together, um, and we actually we're here on Zoom, so it's good to see see you guys' faces. I think maybe there there won't be a, any disconnect after one of us finishes talking. I think yeah, this well, is the first time I say that in there. So. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm a little nervous because this is technically a face reveal for uh, whatever clip that Keon decides to upload. But it was it was a win, right? Can't be mad about that. I thought it was a pretty good performance, actually. I think there was a very clear dynamic, which I'm sure we'll discuss, about what Real Madrid did defensively that ended up securing the win. And yeah, I think we essentially deserved it, even though I think you can simultaneously say that Celta also got fairly unlucky in certain instances. And so, yeah, I, I'm ne- I can never be unhappy when, when it's three points in the bag. I thought it was interesting that like, basically the, the kind of shift in Celta um, with um, Eduardo Cudet. Cudet. <clears throat> basically, ever since he took over from Oscar Garcia, this is a dramatically different team, right? You can go by any metric. You can go by defensive efficiency, offensive efficiency. Um, and Jose Perez did a great job of outlining that in this piece. This becomes a lot um, less tricky, possibly, probably, if this game is being played, um, you know, not now and maybe like earlier, like a few months earlier, right? So um, this this became a really difficult game because... Um, of the of the job that um, Kude has been doing, like I mean, he's improved the team. He's formed a new identity. We we saw firsthand today. So, oh, maybe we can start with you. Um, this is another game following the I guess train of thinking from last podcast against Elche. The team, the opponent, is quite interesting to dissect because this is a team in this situation, in something that's really rare. A team against Real Madrid goes and tries to control the game, tries to keep the ball. 
tries to hold possession, tries to press, tries to win the ball back high up the pitch. So what did you think of Celta's performance in the first half in particular? So I don't want to rehash too much the general philosophy of Kudet's tactics because Jose Perez did an excellent job with that. And everyone should always read his scouting reports, especially because I think he predicted the key dynamic of the game that would end up deciding it in Real Madrid's favor. Um, I was kind of struck, even though I knew what they were going to do, still struck by how vertical their offensive identity is. So, you know, Jose kind of described their formation as this like four, one, three, two. You could say that I kind of like see it as more of like this asymmetrical four, two, two, two. So like um, kind of a double pivot with, you know, Tapia being like a little deeper and then Denis Suarez kind of roaming ahead. And so like, I mean, you, you could kind of see it either way, just in my kind of mind, kind of like denoting it as a double pivot kind of separates the fact that Suarez has, a bit more of a controlling role where it's like these kind of wide players in the half spaces like Bryce Mendes and Nolito are more attacking, more aggressive. And, you know, whichever way you kind of look at it, it's really easy to see that they have such aggressive occupation in central zones and they only know how to do one thing, which is to pass the ball forward. And that can be very dangerous for opposition sides if they're not compact defensively I think it's a huge part of the reason that Celta have been so good offensively like it's just turned around all of a sudden but I do think it was almost kind of one-dimensional at times this emphasis and we're going to go for it no matter what always the vertical pass always the vertical pass and that ended up I think costing them ultimately in the game because they couldn't handle Real Madrid's pressing and Real Madrid pressed most intensely unsurprisingly in that first half and it was honestly a bit risky. It was super aggressive. I'm not just talking about high pressing. I'm talking about pressing in kind of all areas of the pitch. Even in the middle third, there was very aggressive pressing, but we did it really well. And it's down to Kroos and Modric who have become pressing geniuses over time under Zidane's system. So you know, I have it written down over here. As you can see, I'm looking at my notebook. Um, on their buildup, you had kind of Kroos and it was fluid, right? It always changes Real Madrid, but Kroos kind of stepping up onto the center back that Benzema is not pressing and usually Modric stepping up onto top to Tapia, like, so going three versus three at the back. And if you're working it out in your mind while listening to this, you will kind of realize that Casemiro is overloaded in the center of the pitch, which is why I say, you know, there was that risk there. And so technically this is kind of what Celta want, right? You know, they want to draw you out, play through you. The issue is Kroos and Modric were pressing so well with such cover shadows it was very difficult for them to kind of get around that and quickly exploit the space in the center and the other key thing is Asensio and Lucas Vasquez did very very good jobs kind of alternating from protecting the wide zones to then moving inside and taking up the free central midfielder and that was critical to me that was what really kind of like solidified that entire shape and I think it will probably go underrated because we're going to we're going to talk about Lucas Vasquez and and Asensio's offensive contributions very deservedly, but defensively what they did was very important. I thought Lucas Vasquez in particular was extremely impressive with those inwards pressing actions, you know, more so in just decision-making, right? You, you have to do it at the right time, at the right angle, with the right intensity. That's not easy. And, you know, they did it pretty much every time, aside from like some moments at the beginning where Salta got through. And this is where I think, I say Celta looked one-dimensional because that's when you need your possession structure to kind of adjust, right? You know, you're having trouble playing your normal game. How do you play around this pressure? 
you know, and, and find those short passing combinations to be able to retain the ball. And that's where they struggled, right? Because you have the fullback so high up the pitch. They're really like wingers placed against the last line. You have four players way up, you know, congested into midfield, right? To receive those vertical passes. So you only have Dennis Suarez, um, Tapia and the center backs who are any kind of like close vicinity to recycle the ball. And that's where it was tough for them. I thought all of the passing options were medium to long range. And that just made it tougher on them to, you know, to, to make those pinpoint deliveries to exploit Real Madrid. And that's where I think the shape needed to adjust a little bit. And I can talk about that later. Cause I guess that goes into second um, halftime adjustments, but you know, that's kind of where the key of the game was for me and Real Madrid essentially won it by their pressing. And, you know, that's how we scored the second goal as well. Right. Pressing action high up the pitch feed Asensio through one versus one goal. So I think it's very well illustrated in that moment as well. Yeah, I, I mean, a lot there. So I think that basically what you're saying is Zidane got the approach right, and I agree. I think um, Zidane got this one right. Celta, we saw, I mean, Celta had most of the possession. I think uh, Madrid ended up the match with 41% possession. And so Zidane wanted it that way. He was comfortable. The team was comfortable absorbing that pressure. Uh, you, ah! ooh, Sorry, you pointed out the... Uh, the Lucas and Asensio um, positioning. And I think that was crucial because to your point, Casemiro was going to be a huge risk if, if if they got through and were able to exploit that. But the difference was that Asensio and Lucas really tucked in and knew when, where and when to be at the right moments. And so that was huge for our whole defensive scheme. And so we were, I mean, we were really comfortable. We just, we, Asensio and Lucas closed from the inside. We left uh, Hugo Mayo and Olasa free. And Celta's diamond was, I mean, they didn't really penetrate. And so we were comfortable. We controlled that first 45, especially. And I thought, I mean, it wasn't necessarily like the most fun game to watch, especially that first half. But it was still, it was still, I mean, I never thought Celta threatened. Like I never felt once that Madrid weren't in cruise control. I just thought that they could have done better once they try to release themselves on the counterattack, I think we're a little sloppy with our passes and our decision-making. Yeah. I mean, this is all really interesting. And by the way, Om, thank you for saving some of this for like the sequel or like the second half of the podcast. You didn't all, you didn't, you didn't give the entire podcast in one, one spiel, but I think like my read on this Celta team is that this is actually a really promising team to follow, to watch them develop under, under this new kind of system, this new scheme, which is vastly different. Um, and this, you know, goes back all the way to the Bariso days. You know, it, it hasn't been flattering football for a while. For them, it's been, you know, two years straight of literally if Iago Aspas is not going to Superman mode, they get relegated. And so it's possible that they avoid that this season. And by the way, Aspas, I mean, big thing for them, him leaving in the 51st minute due to a nacho tackle. He's been unbelievable this season. And I, you know... I'm surprised. I'm pleasantly surprised at what he's done because I honestly didn't know how much he had left in the tank. But this is, this has been a great Aspas season. Um, <clears throat> so, I, I I do think this is interesting because like if you kind of follow like the prototypical mid-table La Liga team who adopts a new system of possession-based football, like you know not backing down to anyone, playing their solid football, not being reactive, being proactive. Real Betis kind of comes to mind, my mind. Um, this kind of goes back to the Kike Setien days. The thing with that Betis team is that they often had a lot of the ball, and if they were going to go against a low block, 
they were kind of screwed because they didn't have much ingenuity. And um, I mean, they had individual brilliance, obviously, but they didn't have kind of the, 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 the architecture to build, to break that down consistently. So you, with that, with the variance you saw from them was a lot of wild results, a lot of goals conceded, a lot of goals scored. And ultimately that's why they were kind of mid table. But I, I think the Celta team has a, has a chance not to be the black hole defensively that Celta, uh, that Betis was. Uh, I, I thought their transition defense wasn't great tonight, but it also wasn't a complete sieve. And, I, and I'd be interested to see how this goes and, and kind of just staying on track with what you guys were saying. Um, in the press conference, Kude was talking about like, you know, he used words like Real Madrid. We, we saw Real Madrid as our equals and uh, we, we, we kept the ball. But he also admitted that um, we could have improved. So maybe we could have been a little bit more risky with our passes and maybe we could have. I think the wording he used um, I wrote it down in one of my 1 million tabs, but he said something like um, something about like avoiding repetitive internal passes. So uh, yeah, repetitive with internal passes is what he described his play as today. So it'd be interesting to see kind of how that, how that improves over time, because I, I think this is a really interesting Celta team. So um I did. I did. I did. I did want to pick you guys' brains a little bit more about Real Madrid's pressing, because I thought the pressing today was very. It was a little bit unique in the sense that defensively it was very, very, very option-based pressing, and that you know they fought, they wanted Celta to go out wide, right? So when you guys are saying Vasquez and Asensio tucked in narrow, so like with Vasquez in particular, although I saw Asensio do it too on the opposite side, Vasquez basically would go centrally to, to track Nolito, man mark him sometimes, even though he was in a set of forward position, completely ignoring um, Santi Mina, who was on, on the wing. Um, and also, like, up top, you know, you guys mentioned, all mentioned Kroos and Modric as they're pressing and stuff. They kind of, like, it looked like a Christmas tree defensively. That's what it looked like. So you had your back four, and then everyone was just narrow, and then Benzema spearheading it up top by himself, basically. But often, Kroos would be the, the guy highest up the pitch with him and Mordage right behind them, which ironically, this is part of the reason why I thought, you know, dis- despite the usual Casemiro stuff, I thought Casemiro was really good tonight because he didn't play the number 10. Like he was, he was the anchor in every true sense of the word tonight. So what did you guys, maybe, maybe I just haven't been paying attention as much as I should be, but I, I thought it was depressing structure tonight it was kind of unique in that I'm not sure if I've seen that exact replica much of late well i thought um i thought that what was different about tonight was where we set the line of confrontation so like where we were willing to start our press and it wasn't always um so high up the pitch like we've usually been doing where we where elche for example was able to play through um, we started our line of confrontation. So where usually Benzema and Cruz started to press was usually around the top of the center circle. So until Celta got to that point, we kind of like bunkered in, got our position set where we wanted to be. And then once they tried to feed uh, Tapia and Dennis Suarez, that's when we, that's when those two really started to press. And so that we could close that down. And so I think that was, it wasn't all the time, but I felt like that was one of the major differences I noticed was, we were we were really, and I think you you, you mentioned it, Kian. We were really selective about when we wanted to press and how we wanted to press. 
Um, and so I think that was a key difference. It was just, and overall, it was just much more organized than we're used to seeing. So I think that was a, a, a positive, a really good positive. Yeah, I I think that selectivity that you mentioned is really important because that's key with the Sensio and Lucas needing to make right decisions about when to come inside, when to stay wide, because they essentially defined our vertical compactness because Kroos and Modric were going to have to press really aggressively um, just to kind of give Jose a shout out and to kind of, because there are obviously people who appreciate it, but I think more people need to be reading these because he like, he basically tells you how the game's going to play out. And he had an exact paragraph in this one where he literally just tells you what's going to happen. And so I'll read it out. He says, as usual, Kroos and Modric will have a tremendous impact on every phase of play. In defense, they will likely be in charge of pressing Renato Tapia and Dennis Suarez, the key men in Celta's build-up phase. A good pressing job from them and Lucas on the right wing could deactivate Celta's possession circuit. And really, I couldn't describe what happened better after the game itself, right? And so I think that is what essentially defined Real Madrid's success. And I think it's what kind of gave that sort of unique shape that what Keon is talking about in that I don't think the strategy was unique, this idea of being a very aggressive man-to-man We've discussed before how Zidane tends to prefer that. This idea of Modric and Kroos being the ones to lead the press is something we've seen going back to 2017. But Asensio and Lucas Vasquez deciding to come inside, so it's so narrow, is kind of what made it unique. And that's the main adaptation to this game where I think Zidane got it right. Like To me, it's quite clear that you know they scouted what Celta were going to do um, because we know how they're going to play and we adjusted to it. And are a very aggressive and very brave game plan ended up coming off. Zidane can tend to be a little more conservative sometimes, right? Especially against, you know, quote unquote, smaller teams. It's usually in the big games where we see him go out and try things. And in this one, he really gambled a little bit and it came off in a big way because as Matt said, you know, aside from that opening chance and when we were 2-0 up and we kind of bunkered down, I just didn't feel Celta were going to be able to do anything. And really the entire game was played on our terms. Do you guys feel like, by the way, I'm glad you brought up Jose's uh, preview and just previews in general. I tend to not be able to read them until after the game just because of when it goes up and kind of how the day's going. But I always find it interesting to go and read it after the game just to see how it all connects. And it always kind of, it just it just makes sense. I, I, I really enjoy reading them for that reason, even after the game. So we usually have his articles pinned even after the game because they're super interesting to read and it gives you a nice glimpse of the opponent. Um <clears throat> Did you guys feel that Real Madrid defended Celta's vertical passing a little bit better as the game wore on? Uh, yeah. I mean, I felt like, I don't know, maybe I'm in the minority in this, but I felt like Celta, as the game went on, just less and less they tried to put, pull off those vertical passes. So I think that's just a testament to how well Madrid's system was working. And obviously Aspas came off as well, but he's the one usually receiving those passes. So um, yeah, I just, yeah, I didn't think there was much there from, from Celta. And I was, um, I mean, we expected that we expected them to kind of play this gung ho approach and uh, go for it a little bit more, but I, I really didn't see it. I mean, there, they had a lot of, t- talented players out there. I mean, Bryce Mendes is another one, uh, Santa Mina, Iago Aspas. So they, they load up the team. They put as many forwards as they can out there, but it, it just never, I mean, how aggressive we were. And it wasn't, I mean, we've talked a lot about Modric, uh, Modric Cruz, Asensio Lucas, but like, 
even Nacho, like he deserves a, a major shout out today. He was so crucial in some of his step ups. Like he did not, he did not hesitate for one moment. And when you press like that, you can't hesitate. You can't be caught in two minds. We see that all the time. And he, he knew his role and he stepped up really well, was aggressive, used his body. Like I was in, in clean tackles too. I thought that we don't usually get to say this, but the referee ref the match really well. Um, and so I just thought not, it was one of Nacho's. I mean, he's been great this season and one of his best performances to date. I agree with that 100%. This is where I was really nervous about Sergio Ramos being missed because one of the things he's best at in the history of world football is stepping up aggressively to snap at the heels of attacker, you know, receiving the ball without fouling and troubling them. And to see Nacho come in and basically do his best impression of that was really impressive to me. I thought it was absolutely critical to us being able to control those central zones around Casemiro um, because Asensio and Lucas would come inside, but they weren't the ones really defending those passes specifically. It was more about dissuading that and being you know, clever and denying space and stuff. And yeah, I mean, he did a remarkable job. Varane did a good job as well. The passes were more going down into Nacho's channel, whether that was because they thought he could exploit him or they wanted to feed it into Mendes or whatever. So just by virtue of that, I'd say like he was more important. Um, he also had like two really good clearances in the box, um, which, you know, I'm sure you guys haven't forgotten. The first one, saving the goal, the Aspas probably should have done better there. And then Casemiro, as Keon mentioned, I thought was very impressive defensively because, you know, his decision-making on who he was supposed to take in relation to Celta's shape and, you know, basically trust that Asensio and Lucas would take the other guy was, I, I really, you know, enjoyed his performance in that respect. And then he had a number of interceptions or deflections, you know, wherever they played the ball inside, tried to combine. He was always there interrupting play, basically how you expect him to do. It was a classic Casemiro defensive performance, you know, him as the lone pivot. And it's, it's that type of game where, oh, okay, this is why, you know, Zidane loves Casemiro so much, right? This is the exact type of game I want him defending and protecting the back line. So really impressive defensive performance for him, in my opinion, probably the best of, of the season from him, just in terms of the amount of defensive actions he was constantly having to um, produce. And then, you know, constant decision-making he, he was having to execute and he made the right decision every time. So yeah, defensively, this was a very, very good performance back to front and I enjoyed it thoroughly. And yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Matt was really, really key to kind of like uh, touch on Nacho because I think you could argue maybe he was the best player of the game. I know Asensio, goal and assist and stuff like that. But Nacho is really critical defensively. This is, uh, there's always a correlation to me between how well Real Madrid defend and where Casemiro is on the field. And today just kind of stamped that. Like it just, he's in position and he reads the game well from that position. Um I understand if, if maybe if Celta were winning this game at one or two goals, you would have seen Casemiro unleash the guns and, and start running into the box and doing his thing. But there was no need for that tonight, thankfully. So um, defensive reads were good. Interceptions were good. I, I, I just think that the way the team was positioned, um, they were set up to just read the passing lanes pretty well. Um, Casemiro, three interceptions. Cruz, three interceptions. Nacho, two. Mordic, two. Carvajal, one. Asensio, one. Hazard, one. By the way, I think who scored... I don't know how accurate their interceptions are, like their interception stats. Mordich had at least three about my notes, but I don't know what they count. But this is kind of a trend I've noticed for years now. So I don't I don't know what they count and what they don't count. But um, so this was a really good defensive performance. And as you guys said earlier, 
Um, Celta for all the ball. Um, they didn't threaten much. Their big one, really the big one, was the Aspas one, which Nacho drops back. And I agree on Nacho's performance overall. I thought it was great. I will say, I don't know what exactly happened on that because the, the pass from on that Aspas miss, the pass from Nolito to get the ball into the box to Aspas over the top was awesome. It was a really beautiful pass. Um, and somewhere there, Real Madrid broke. But Nacho makes up for it by just getting in behind Courtois and uh, and taking Aspas' shot away, which is ironically where the game essentially changed. I mean, that's what um, um, <clears throat> uh, Kude said after the game, where he said, like, it was kind of a tough pill to swallow because it was... It, we felt it could have been one nil for us and then it became one nil for them within seconds. So um, that that's where, that's where Real Madrid's goal started. So a breakdown of Real Madrid's goal. Um, give us your assessment. Uh, I mean, my assessment being like, I guess a larger point about Celta's defensive transition was, um, but really I think, it was kind of like, you know, emblematic of that and just how much space there was behind in the flanks, right? Because I mentioned their fullbacks pushing up almost like they're, I mean, really they were wingers, right? Because they're, you know, quote unquote, actual wide players, Nolito and Mendes, were going to be central attacking midfielders in, in, in those zones. And so just really good to, you know, Nacho makes a defensive intervention. It's cleared. And we win the second ball, right? Like Celta do a bad job of trying to retain possession. Kroos gets it. And that's it. Essentially launched down the left. And it's just a really good individual action from there, which is what you need in counterattacking situations. And Lucas makes a really good run, like a Ronaldo type run, as Kian said on Twitter, like just kind of like darting to the center, then faking and making a run to the back post. And I thought they defended that well, actually. It's just Asensio's delivery was absolutely beautiful. Like it, it threaded the eye of the needle in that instance. There's, I, I just don't see how the defender could close out more space on Lucas Vasquez without fall, without fouling him, and he ends up scoring at the back post. So it was, I think, a fairly straightforward counterattack, but it's the type of thing we tried to do throughout the game. And what messes up a little bit, as Matt mentioned, is the execution wasn't quite as clean as, as it was in that instance. But I, we'll, we'll, we'll get to this later, But and I'll leave it now because we're talking about the goal, but I did have problems with Celta's defensive transition, and it relates directly to, I think, their their approach in possession. Yeah, and I, I, I you know what I really liked? Um, Ray Hudson's commentary on the goal how he said this is becoming a trademark for Asensio that stabbed chipped rainbow cross and that I, I felt like that was spot on I mean that's he's he's done that now in the past couple of games to good success um, and, it, and it's a nice cross it's effective it works it gives um, it, it's lofted just enough to get over the last defender and then obviously Lucas Vasquez who's one of the shorter players actually was there to to head it in and I, I mean, I, I was really happy for Asensio. Like, this is another, like, the gains have been getting more and more encouraging from him as he's as he's um, started these last three. I mean, he's hit how many posts? He hit the posts with that one ridiculous back heel. He hit the crossbar. Um, and then he's finally now got his goal today. He's got a couple assists the last two games. So, um, even, even that goal Modric scored against Elche felt like an assist for him after it ricocheted off the, off the crossbar. So, Feels like he's finally coming into his own. He's kind of said as much after the match, Zidane as well. So uh, I think he was another uh, encouraging performance. I think if you, if if somebody like just shrinks, like does a Photoshop video edit thing that I can't do, I don't have the skills to do, but 
you do like Ronaldo's your your fox in the box Ronaldo video um that you made a couple years ago. If you do that, but you just shrink Ronaldo like half the size, it looks like Lucas Vasquez today. Like it just like if you look at his off ball movement, just the way he kind of like you know making kind of zigzagging runs and then sprinting to the far post, and he's kind of like just towers over the header. It was, I I honestly feel like the last few months in particular, stylistically, he's really mirrored Ronaldo. Like he's like a a poor man's Ronaldo. Here we go I don't again. Know, a hope, again. homeless the Ronaldo Cafu, for all Michael the Ronaldo, Ronaldo FC Twitter <laughs> fanboys who might get. Uh, insulted and offended that i called him poor man's ronaldo he's a homeless ronaldo he's like but a very serviceable ho- uh, homeless homeless ronaldo if you just wa- if you just ignore that one on his back he he is our number seven yeah yeah um so asensio so you kind of matt you highlighted a lot of asensio moments in the last few games and uh, and i think he's he's had the moments right he's had moments what i liked about today it was beyond moments it was I felt like it was an entire game of activity from him. And um, I mentioned this in my media reaction. You know, I think he had six crosses tonight, um, I believe. Um, Yeah. So while some of those crosses, at least two by my count, were overhit, like wildly overhit, I was okay with it. I was okay with it because he was just involved. Like his activity and off-ball movement on the left, his – his defensive awareness on the left, which is not something we often say about him, um, was quite good. I thought this was a really good kind of really good overall general performance from Asensio. There was even one moment where I thought like, wow, he really got his pace back because he had uh, his, his the, the, the guy he was trying to chase to the ball, I forget who was on the wing. He, had a he-, he didn't have the head start as his opponent did. And he sprints past him and he gets to the ball first. And um, that that moment, I felt like that was like the explosiveness of Asensio we saw like from a couple of years ago. So, um, outlet was good, movement was good, um, his runs were good on and off the ball. He moved well in the passing lanes. Again, a little bit over eager with some of his diagonal crossing, but did well, did well in tight spaces too. So this was an encouraging. And after the game, he talked about like, you know, people don't realize like the timeline of a return from something like this, it's really long. It's really gradual. So I'm happy for him because now, now we get to talk about performances and it's in rather than just moments where moments are great, but if you can do moments plus performances and tonight he had both because he had a golden assist. Um, that was really encouraging a sense of performance for me. Only things I have to add is to me, it seems clear that Asensio's confidence is back again, always kind of hard to gauge that, but I, I think it's clear to me looking at his body language, him really like playing passes with purpose, going for those shots again, which was more other games rather than this one. And even in, you know, some of the things he failed to do, which was the other thing I'm going to say, like I thought his dribbling through midfield was maybe a little inefficient at times. You know, obviously he was fouled in certain moments, but you know, that's the Asensio, that bit of Asensio, that dribbling aspect, that close control, you know, something we haven't seen of late where he's actually quite good there. You know, and he can show more of that often to be able to kind of like break defenses down, ward off the press a little bit. And the fact that he's back to attempting that and when he failed it, he didn't stop. He kept going. The fact that the, the confidence is back is what is is really promising for me because it's always, I guess, kind of an underrated thing or something we overlook in the sense that 
when we want to be critical of a player, it's we'll kind of mention it and then ignore it and be like, we're never going to talk about that again. When I think like that is a real thing, right? Like your, your confidence is, and your, your kind of like assuredness about how you're going to play in God and do things gets messed up when you get injured for a year and you come back on and everyone's slagging you off every single game because you're not playing like the old Asensio, like that is going to affect you a little bit. And it's never clear and this is always, I guess, going to be something that we never have a handle on how exactly that comes back. Right. I think it goes down to who you are as a player and how you're able to react and come back to that. And I'm glad that after all of this, with you, even today, people like even today, I was like, should Asensio be starting really with Hazard there and stuff? He was able to respond to that. And it looks like he's like, you know what, I'm just going to go out and play my game, which is what we hadn't seen from Asensio for so long after he came back. And as long as he plays his game, he will be fine and he will meet a certain standard that will please everyone. And then after that, we can finally focus on Asensio moving from playing his game to going to that next level. Right. And so the fact that we're finally getting back to like square one in that instance to, to have you know, a normal discussion about Asensio again is promising for me. And, and that's something I enjoyed about this performance. Um, just a quick, quick note uh, before we get into more deeper Real Madrid stuff, I did want to mention, I forgot to mention this, when we were talking about Celta as a whole, I was really impressed with Denny Suarez tonight. And actually, I've always kind of liked his game. Uh, I think him in a vacuum, he's got that annoying kind of like Barca quirk of like just always fighting with every Real Madrid player possible. But he's a talented player. And I, and I like, I really like how Kudai has used him. And then today he had over 100 touches. He, I felt like he was kind of the linchpin in just moving side to side, making sure Celta have have options to progress the ball. Again, as a, as a whole, maybe they weren't successful, but I liked his performance, so I just wanted to give him a shout out. Um, <clears throat> where do you guys want to go from here? Because we talked about the first half extensively, we talked about the goal. Where do you guys want to go? I think there's a couple more uh, individual player shout outs mm -hmm. uh, that are worthy, and one of those being. Um, Luka Modric, I think, uh, again, I mean, this guy is, he's incredible. We say it match after match, like, isn't he tired? Isn't he, is he going to break down this time? Like, what's, Zidane starting him again? And then yet again, he produces just absolute magic. I mean, he had some Cruyff passes in the middle, or Cruyff turns in the middle of the midfield that just broke lines. He uh, did a little back heel passes, like everything was coming off for him. Um, I, that drag back that was replayed by the BN feed where he, uh, I think it was, he beat Dennis Suarez and, uh, a little drag back just kind of shifted his gravity a little bit and was able to feed, feed a ball through. I mean, it was just, he's, he's one of the guys on the team sheet. Like Keon, you always ask, like, what did you think of the starting 11? Like, he's one of the guys, uh, on the team sheet. I get excited to watch like this, even the starting 11 today, I'm kind of like, it's the same starting 11, no rotation. So I'm a little like, uh, I, I was kind of hoping maybe for something new, like doesn't get me that excited. Um, but he, he's one of the guys that gets me excited along with uh, Asensio the last three matches. Like I've been excited to see how Asensio evolves as we talked about, but uh, Luka Modric today, I mean, I just, he's, he's, he's undroppable. I mean, he is, I think there was a, on, I was looking at, um, some of on tweets after the match, I think I forget who was on the Spanish radio might've been Alvaro Benito. Um, but they were saying like Luka Modric, he, that's your poster boy in La Liga. Like this is the, the best player in the league. This is your guy. Like he's playing incredible right now. 
I, agree I have with no everything. disagreement with Modric. I mean, he's just been incredible. Um, I I think I think we can talk about like maybe big picture Modric stuff later. But I, again, what what amazes me the most about him, and I've said this over and again, over and over again, in columns for the past few years, like nobody reads passing lanes like this dude. Like he just knows where yeah. to be at all times. He just passes. Like almost talking about the cover shadow earlier, and like just he knows how to take away two passing lanes at once. He knows how to make you think you have space or you're getting that pass through, but he goes there. You know, for any any basketball fans, it's like the literally the equivalent of watching Kawhi, just like on defense, hands up all the time, getting your hand to the ball. So um, it was great. Oh, my, cut you off. Sorry. Yeah, I, was, I mean, I wasn't going to say much because there wasn't much more to say about Modric. I was going to highlight Kroos as well since we're on individual performances. Again, mm-hmm. another impeccable game with the ball, close to 94% passing accuracy leading the team. Just if we look at his like last stretch, I guess like eight games or something, his passing accuracy has been absolutely unbelievable. And then also his defensive work, which I talked about earlier, but I just want to highlight again because we never think about Kroos as providing defensive value. He does. It's just that it's different from what we think about a deeper, you know, kind of central midfielder providing, right? Like his weakness is tracking back and, you know, transition and maybe not, you know, even if he tried, he's not like the most athletic in terms of the amount of ground he covers, you know, compared to like Casemiro or whatever, but he is one of the best pressers in world football. And, you know, Modric, I think can cover ground a little better than him is a little more agile and stuff, but Kroos also has that mastery of, of passing angles and cover shadows. And he had, especially the first 15 minutes, some lung busting runs to continue to follow his man and move up alongside Benzema and press the center backs. And that's something since like 15, 16, when Zidane came in and he's kind of like, that's the way I want to press. I always want to start the press with Kroos doing it. Initially, I was like, you know, really Kroos. And I think over time, he's really proved that he is the ideal guy to be triggering everything because he reads the game so well. He knows exactly when it needs to happen. And over time, everyone around him has kind of understood, okay, when Kroos goes, we have to go because he knows when the right decision is. And if we don't, things are going to fall apart. And he really leads the team in that aspect, which I don't think is talked about him enough. And that's where he provides his defensive value. And I, I think we really saw it in this game today. He was great. I mean, him and Modric also collectively, their passing was great. Their synergy was good. Um, I agree on all accounts. Um, what did you guys think of um, Vasquez's performance? I know we kind of mentioned it in passing and kind of the job he did defensively, but and obviously the goal. But I'm just kind of curious more of the zoomed out picture performance of him. What did you guys think? Well, looking at... Uh who scored after the game. I was surprised to see it three key passes. Um, obviously, I mean, obviously he had the assist to Marco Asensio, but three key passes, team high on top of that. Um, I mean, he just continues to perform. He, I mean, he's he's delivering. We can't we can't complain at all. And that tandem of Lucas and Carvajal on the right right hand side has just been phenomenal. I thought Danny Carvajal was another one that had a great, great game. Just it seems like he's got endless energy. Um, I mean, look at, I was thinking about it today during the match. You look at that right uh, fullback position now. And if you consider Lucas and Carvajal to be the right fullback position, like we're, I almost feel a lot more comfortable with the right fullback position than the left fullback position. And always think of ourselves so stacked on, on the left-hand side. And we've got all these options and like low knees and everything like that over the last few years. 
but it's actually turned out to be like if you compare the, the performance of Mendy versus Carvajal today, I mean, Carvajal has been great. And you know what he's also doing is uh, he's he's almost got it mastered is that half volley shot that he scored against uh, Atleti, Atletico Madrid. Uh, he tried that again today, nearly scored. Um, and I feel like that's come up a couple times now. So if he can master that, that might be a little uh, secret weapon. I, uh, I, with Carvajal, what continues to amaze me is that, you know, we, we talked about like, sometimes when you watch Mordage play, like beyond age, forget that he's 35. I don't even factor that in anymore. I just think like when I watch him play, the energy is insane. Carvajal has that too. Like Carvajal, like you don't know, like, it looks like he's possessed at times. Like he just, he goes from the transition from point A to point B without the ball. Like he'd be a nightmare to play against and just someone you would go to war with. And I was thinking about that watching his performance today. And obviously this is following that, that horrendous penalty he gave away against Elche. But other than that, he was pretty good. Um, is there a better two-way wingback in the world? Like on form. TAA, he's got the offense down. Mendy's got the defense down. But like, we're talking about like just defense, offense, north-south, Who's better? He doesn't always play this position. I don't know if he's better, but I think Kimmich's pretty damn good when he Kimmich plays right good. back and being a both way pre- two way presence. I'm trying to think of anyone else. Infonso Davies, he's not bad necessarily defensively, but it's very much offensively, you know, is what makes him right. He doesn't. I mean, I haven't watched how much Bayern this season, so maybe I'm just exposing myself. But his you know, defense is his all about like incredible recovery, like just getting back, right? Like, in yeah, lightning speed. Yeah. Whereas, like someone like Mendy is like actually just defensive, fundamental perspective masters pretty much everything. And then even one versus ones isolations, which I was a little concerned about against more agile, shorter players, he hasn't really been exposed, you know, in in that regard in his couple of seasons at Real Madrid so far. So. Yeah, I mean, I think Carvajal is as good a shout as any in terms of talking about a balanced fullback, not just north-south, but his ability in possession, right? Because more and more, yeah. you know, we yep. pressing structures are get get the ball out wide, press the fullback who is going to be the weak link, right? They might be good at crossing. They might, you know, have good athleticism, but can they, do they have the close control? Do they have the passing intelligence? And Carvajal not just has all of that, but he has like the bravery as well, right? Like he has the sauce. Like I just feel like calling him like a saucy fullback is what describes him the best because it, you know, I don't know, but people who don't watch Carvajal a lot just don't think he's that good on the ball, but really some of the passes he makes, the runs he makes inside, like they just destroy pressing structures. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not something he does all the time, but I don't know if you guys remember this, but really early in the first half, the dude was making a run all the way into the left-hand side of the box. And he was the only person there. And like, sometimes he just has that in him to make those runs inside. It's some of the goals he scored, solo goals coming inside like that. He just has this unpredictability factor to him that makes him really difficult to handle and add something else to that right-hand side. And Lucas knows how to play off that perfectly because he keeps the width. He also sometimes likes to come inside when we're against the press. And like those two, you know, have been an underrated tandem over the years. And yeah, I mean, I guess I'd say like Lucas, if we're talking about how good Carvajal is, Lucas has been our best winger so far this season, right? Like, I mean, Uh, it can't be anyone else. Like it's been him. Yep. Well, and uh, Kian, before you, uh, take over i just want to 
you, you mentioned that one play in the first half um, from Carvajal. The other play I think of in the first half that was kind of ridiculous from Carvajal was uh, when he took a first touch with his chest and chested it over Nolito and then went around him and picked the ball up again. I was like, oh, my God, that was ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, another just more evidence to just how good he is and comfortable he is and, uh, on the ball. Um. I don't know if I have much else. I think we've covered everything that I have. Uh, on Zoom, I can't actually see how long we've been recording for, but um, I don't know. I guess we're close to an hour. So did you guys have any other notes you wanted to dump before I ask you guys some questions and we take a patron question? Yeah, I mean, I definitely have more stuff to say about Celta as I was kind of <laughs> setting right. up, but I don't know how long it's going to take. So if Matt has something, go for it. The only thing, and I kind of hinted on it on that last section there, uh, it's just I thought Mendy was really poor on the ball today. Um, like countless giveaways, kind of lagged on the ball, took too long to make a decision. Um, just one of those Mendy games. And I feel like he's kind of had a, a string of these now. It, it's not a one-off uh he's been kind of inconsistent and unreliable on the ball so hopefully he can, i feel like his confidence is a little bit down in terms of his just on on the ball because we know he can do more um so hopefully he can turn that around in the next few games i mean what did you think of the game plan of just him cutting in and just letting it fly with his right, right foot. foot not once <laughs> not once but twice second one was a little bit closer Cruz got I so pissed one time did he? I didn't even see his reaction. I if yeah. I, I think if he had tried one more time, he could have maybe... It, it seemed like one of those things, the more he tries, maybe the closer he gets, but <laughs> maybe maybe not do that if that's... The first one actually was so... <laughs> what, he, he hit it so bad that it didn't even go out of bounds for a goal kick. It went out of bounds for a throw-in, I think, right? Yeah, I think I so. I think it literally just sliced across <laughs> the field. <laughs> <laughs> so that was uh mendy in a nutshell um yeah yeah any other so so um, i assume right now you're about to go on like a tear of like <laughs> 30 minutes we'll, we'll see we'll see yeah. i don't exactly like plan out all the points in advance it just kind of links together um someone one of our patrons actually asked me this on, on the dm like he's like do you write this all out no i definitely do not do that i'm pretty sure it'll be more concise if i did um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm also interested in what you guys think, because I think the thing we missed is what we think Celta could have done to adapt. It's really interesting to me that Chacho in the post-match press conference says he thought they weren't direct enough. And I mean, I guess I sort of get what he was saying in the sense that like after Aspas went off injured, I thought they got super deflated. As Matt said, he thought those vertical passes went away, but I think that more just had to do with the attitude of the team for like a good 20 minute period, looking like they felt pretty defeated, right? Like this is Real Madrid. We had a chance to score and then they score, they score again off of an unnecessary giveaway. And then our best player gets injured. Like, you know, it's just one of those days. Right. But in terms of like where I think the dynamic was, where Celta were really more in it mentally, at least I thought they could have really looked to be a bit more patient. Like there, there, there are a couple ways you can go about it. Right. Because I guess you can ask why many possession based teams don't play the way Celta do. Right. Cause this idea of going so vertical all the time, it's unusual. Right. And, you know, sometimes we criticize Zidane for not, for not doing this. It's almost like they're on the opposite ends, right. Zidane way more horizontal side to side passing, 
Chacho just vertical all the time. And you sometimes forget that there's a benefit to going the other way, especially against pressing. And when you need to retain the ball in an efficient manner, because they had possession, but you know, it, it wasn't very efficient, their circulation, right? A lot of kind of moments where Dennis Suarez or Aspas kind of has to dribble across the length of the field before they can make a pass to someone else. And by that time, Real Madrid have reorganized. And, you know, there, there are a couple of things you can do, I think. One is stopping so rigid with the shape in the first phase of possession, right? Drop the fullbacks. So you have that outlet out wide. I thought they really struggled to really exploit the whiff that they had created with because the fullbacks were so advanced, right? And then you already have these players who are natural wide players who can then stretch out a little bit. Then you have that balance. And then as you move up the pitch, change back into that kind of structure you have. Real Sociedad are a really good team at kind of finding that balance between verticality and being able to retain possession effectively. And, you know, I just feel like Celta just were not able to do that today. So that was one option. Another thing I suggested on Twitter was, you know, going to a back three more consistently, whether that's subbing on a center back in the second half or one center midfielder like um, Tapia more consistently doing it. He did do a couple of times, but not enough to the point where the center backs could go all the way into the half spaces and really provide, you know, more secure lateral connections and, you know, which whatever they were going to do, they weren't able to figure it out. They didn't have the short passing combinations to play through the press, right? If we talk, think about what Elche did versus us, you know, short passing combinations quickly down the flanks, which you just never saw from Celta. And, you know, kind of the defensive consequence of that is, okay, maybe you retain possession, not that efficiently, but you still have it. And then you, at some point, the only way you go forward is you have to fire that vertical pass is once they did that, they had no one back to support right? You had Tapia, you had the two center backs. Danny Suarez wasn't necessarily in the optimal position because he plays more advanced. The fullbacks are just, they're, they're out of the picture, right? And it was just so easy for Asensio and Lucas to bomb forward. And that's where the counterattacks were coming from. And really, as Matt talked about way earlier, if we were more efficient, maybe we could have scored more, got more shots off or something like that. And so that to me was kind of where as much as I like what Celta have done this season, as much as I kind of admired their approach, I'm someone who in particular, really loves vertical football. That's why I like Real Sociedad so much. But there has to be a balance. And I feel like they just weren't able to achieve that. And I was a bit surprised that at halftime, nothing changed in that respect until they went 2-0 down. And to me, it looked like they kind of gave up. And that's why things changed. Um, I'm interested in what you guys think about that because, um, you know, it, it kind of gets to the heart of this debate about what you're supposed to do in possession. And, you know, the difference in styles, like we, we think about possession football as all being the same, right? We, we just talk, oh, it's tiki-taka, right? But here, I think you have two teams that show you, like, they can mean very, very different things. And, yeah, I mean, I, I guess any thoughts you have on, on that and, like, what other things you guys think Celta should have done to adjust to, to be able to get back into the game? So what I, what I think they should have done, um, or at least what I would have done, is maybe – shift the system a bit. Um, I would go 4-3-3. I would kind of, to your first point, Ohm, um, or first option, I would have dropped the fullbacks. Um, and that way you're forcing Lucas and Asensio to, if, you, if Real Madrid are going to continue to press, you're forcing them to press higher. And if you're playing a 4-3-3, I would keep the wingers high, pin back Carvajal and Mendy. So then you're creating a little bit more space um, for your midfielders. And so that way, um, I think it would have, it would have been a little bit more difficult for Real Madrid. And I think it would have been easier for Celta to play through our press. Um, and that's because f- from a Real Madrid perspective, especially once they started to bunker in a little bit, 
all everything was right in front of him. They didn't really, and it was it was pretty condensed space. Um, so it was pretty, it was pretty easy for, like I said, like they just absorbed the pressure and they were pretty comfortable. So, um, Celta played right into their hands in that regard. And just real quick to add on to that, what that also does is it creates the conundrum from Casemiro. It makes, it makes it much tougher for him, right? Because harder for Lucas Asensio to adjust to come across, right? And Casemiro probably also has to cover a larger amount of distance now, right? As Kroos steps up, Modric steps up. You know, Casemiro is completely on the other side, right? So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really good point. And just kind of, it shows the amount of things you could do. Like, this is what I'm saying. Possession football describes such a wide variety of things. Just in that kind of shift, you completely change the, the, di- the dynamic of the spaces being filled, about who's being pinned. And like this possession football, quote unquote, described, it just looks like something completely different. Yeah, I, I think if there was a way to- like to even just drag Casemiro out of that position, they, they would have had more success. Cause I think that a lot of this will just come down to Real Madrid and the way they plugged holes. Um, so when we're talking about Mortage and Kroos's positioning, and by the way, this is like what I wrote in my column last week was that like, I think it was last week. I don't know if it was that one or two columns ago, but just about like Cruz, like, you know, sometimes he will complain that he's like a side to side pass merchant. Right. And first of all, that's not true. But second of all, like when he does that, there's a method to it. Like some people like, you don't, it's hard to see like the baby stepping that is required in position because not everything can be vertical all the time. Sometimes you just need to shift the pieces around and, and kind of do that. But I think where Celta had most of their possession is where areas where Real Madrid, they just couldn't punish Real Madrid. Um, and I think one thing that stood out to me was like they had 147 passes into the final third, which was compared to Real Madrid's 128. I mean, that that is probably the nature of having more possession but they had less passes into the penalty area than Real Madrid did with, and, and they had a lot more passes than Real Madrid, but like Real Madrid were actually passing into the penalty area. So they had the presence there. So like that pass from Nolito to Aspas, they didn't have any of those, like apart from that. Right. I mean, uh, not that I can remember anyway. So whatever, whatever they could have, you know, they, they needed to exploit that one play just more often. And again, this is probably just also a testament to how well Real Madrid defended. So that that's probably what um, what um, Kude was referring to. I mean, those passes like that that Nolito slung to Aspas, a lot of those vertical passes were a little bit deeper on the pitch or just to the flanks. So, And you can look at that on the chalkboard on who scored. I mean, it's just there's nothing into the box, really. So, unfortunately, Zidane didn't have any juicy quotes in the post game to like play. Like, I want to play this game with you guys every every post game podcast where I ask you like agree or disagree. But Zidane didn't really have anything to disagree with. Um, he did explain the Carvajal coming off thing, which he said Carvajal had a niggle, uh, a minor injury. One of the weirdest things in this game was that Carvajal walked off the pitch too slowly and he got booked which means he now, because of that, he misses the game against Osasuna. So I imagine that Lucas Vasquez will just play right back in that game. Um, but I guess this is my question to you guys. One of a few questions I have for you. Do you think Lucas Vasquez and Nacho have overtaken Militao and Oriozola as the team's backup right, in, right back in center backs? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, I I mean I I, I think I remember because um, after like one of the Champions League games or something, I think Inter Milan game where I asked you guys 
I think it's a serious discussion now that Nacho is uh, the third choice over Militao. And today was the real test of that because they were both fit. They were both ready. Um, and Nacho got the start, played great. And I think Militao now is hasn't played. I think I saw he hasn't played since October. Like that's that's ridiculous. Um, so it's 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 a definite uphill battle for him. He's got a he's got an uphill battle. Um, Lucas, same same story. I mean, I don't Odriozola. When was the last time we saw Odriozola? It's September. Um, so I don't. I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see if Zidane actually gives Odriozola the nod next weekend and says I want to keep Lucas at at right wing. But I highly doubt it, considering he he dropped Lucas back today. So. Um, I think Lucas will be the right back against Osasuna. So I think in terms of like Nacho at Militao, it's, it's quite clear. Um, you know, Militao's had some chances, hasn't looked great. And Nacho, when he has had his chances, has justified every single time. I think with Odriozola, he really hasn't gotten a chance. Just like Carvajal has had injury issues up until this point. And that's why we had to put Lucas back there in the first place. I wouldn't be mad if Lucas plays right back, but... I mean, I guess I'm the only one in the world at this point, but I'm still a big Odriozola fan and the type of potential he can provide this team. And I, I think he's got a future here, especially like Ashraf is gone, right? Like Lucas is not the long-term kind of like backup option. Maybe he is, but like, I, I think you really got to figure out, I mean, Odriozola obviously has to prove himself, but assuming he's doing well in training and everything, I would consider starting him because he gives that Jordi Alba type presence, right? With his pace over the last line, you know, imagine Kroos switching balls to him over the top. His offensive numbers are actually in very limited sample size, actually pretty decent with Real Madrid. Um, I would consider it. I think Odrizola provides a different option. I think we need to work him back into the team. And like, you know, if, if we play in one game and he's a disaster, okay, you know, put Lucas back. But I just don't think he's really gotten a chance this season. So I'd be interested in it. Um, there was something else I was going to say about him, but I completely forgot. So if you guys have thoughts on that, you can jump in. You and my dad are like the the two of the final Odriozola truthers in the world. My dad gets like <laughs> irrationally angry anytime Odriozola doesn't play. Like doesn't matter what the situation, the context. So is. he's been it's mad like, the entire season. Every every after every game, he's like, "Why didn't Odriozola play?" And I, you know, I I really love Odriozola too. My, the point that my dad always makes is he's like. Like he's so fast, he can get on the end of those through balls so well. Like nobody can stop him when he does that. And uh, you know, I the Real Sociedad version of Odriozola was incredible, and and I hope he can he can get back to his best. Um, another the other question, thing I was gonna say real quick yeah. about him, what I forgot was that I can kind of get hesitations because one thing he hasn't impressed me in is his press resistance. Um, the few times we've seen him, I haven't thought it was great. And Lucas, I think, is a little superior. Even though his touch can be off, I think he makes better movements. He's more confident. But we'll see. Like, I mean, I don't know. where It's Real Madrid's results-oriented. You have players justifying their their minutes in ways that we haven't before, right, in terms of, like, Lucas, Modric. But it's always this question of how to manage that transition. At some point, I think Odrizola needs to get back into the rotation for the season. You know, Osasuna, in my opinion, is not a bad side to do it against. But um, again, I wouldn't be mad if Lucas started because he has proved himself, you know, so many times this season. And I think that's like, I think you're getting at the heart of like a bigger issue and kind of a big picture discussion is, yes, Zidane relies, it's clear he relies on like, He's got his core 11 and he's got maybe 
14 guys that he, he really, really trusts. But there's a lot, there's a plethora of young talent that we have waiting in the ranks that need to somehow get into the rotation. If, it, if it's not going to be, if he doesn't want to use Jovic, fine, use one of Jovic or Mariano. But like there are guys, Odegaard, Jovic or Mariano, uh, Odriozola, as we mentioned, uh, Militao, these are all guys that need to start getting into the rotation somehow, need to get minutes. Like we can't expect them to perform in a couple Copa del Rey games um, and that's it. Like the, we need to somehow find a way. And I think it'd be nice for Zidane. Like I think his big issue with the rotations this year is he, he's, he hasn't put the right players together and it's been maybe too many rotations in one game. So like Osasuna is a good example. Like maybe you go with the core 11 and then the only real rotation is Ojozola in there. And so you give these guys a chance with the core 11. And so I think if you can, gradually do that um it, it'll help their chances to to perform better on the night and hopefully once they get their confidence up once they get some more minutes like they can gradually be introduced into the team more regularly and you're starting that transition because right now it, it feels like we're going backwards a little bit yeah and i would say if you can put marcelo in right you know he's periodically i think you can put Odrizola in because it's not like marcelo has really set the world alight. I mean, the last performance was maybe his best game I've seen in a long time and it wasn't actually a very good game. Right. So, you know, in that respect, I, there, there will be point. room for it. And I think this next game might be the one, um, but there will be other ones and, and we'll see. I, I still do have a lot of hope for Odriozola's career. And, you know, I think he's been unlucky so far and he, I think he's still a talented footballer, but we'll see because we haven't seen him play in quite a long. Well, to that point, could, I would you have to avoid playing Marcelo and Odrizola together in the same game? Would you need to balance it out with yes. the defensive presence of Mendy on the opposite side if you're going to feel Odrizola? That, that's probably something that yeah. he's thinking about. Yeah. Um, there, that reminds me, I do have an agree or disagree question for you guys. Zidane subs on Mariano for Karim Benzema in the 90th minute. Agree or disagree? Um. <laughs> I, I mean, obviously, I think it should have been earlier. Um, even like it could have been around the same time with all the other subs, Vinicius, Odegaard, Valverde. Um, as long, I, I'm more. I, I still lean. I really believe still in Jovic, but it seems Zidane um, prefers Mariano at least at least at this time. So either or Mariano or Jovic, but we got it there. That's another one that we got to get into the rotation. <clears throat> we got to get them minutes. So. So this agree or disagree thing is whether I agree Zidane should have done it. Yeah, it's not, did he do it? We all saw him do it. Yeah, okay, yeah, I was like, um, yeah. Um, it's not a fact check. It's a real thing. I, I mean, I don't know if I personally do it, but maybe he thought Benz was like a little tired or whatever. And I guess in that instance, maybe it's deflating for Jovic to be seen as like, you're just a piece to give Benzema rest. Whereas I think Mariano kind of accepts that he's never going to be the starting striker. So in that respect, maybe it's better for Mariano to be the one going out there, but I would agree with Matt. Like, I think there was a clear, clear period, you know, 70th minute or so where it's like, we got this game, maybe Jovic could get a goal. Um, but when it's the 91st minute, I guess Mariano is fine. You know, he's going to press like a madman and whatever. So yeah, I can't really take issue. Yeah. I thought, um, <clears throat> 
I don't think it was a, a wrestling. I, I mean, obviously, Ket couldn't have been in the 90th minute. I think, and, I, and Zidane was actually asked about like Benzema and rest. And he's like, Benzema doesn't need rest. But I think it was like, so there are a lot of people, and, and I, I see, see what their point is, is like, what's the point of subbing in somebody that late? It's disrespectful to the player coming on. And I, I think in this situation, it's just one of those things like, let's just stall the clock a little bit. It's 90th minute. Let's just kill Celta's any, any momentum Celta had. And I think like if you're just juggling it, if it's like literally just for that reason and it's like seconds left on the clock, I guess to Alm's point, Mariano makes more sense than Jovic because Mariano is kind of more of that minute, I guess, filler. And Mariano, like historically, needs like one second to score. So maybe like even to put him 99th minute, there's a chance he might get a touch on and score. Who knows? So um, it also potentially could have been Maybe Jovic is going to to Wolves or somebody like that, which, you know, it's possible. Um, okay, the game of what Keon would have asked you that. <laughs> so the question is, you're playing Modric every single game, and he's playing a lot of games, he's playing a lot of minutes, and he's playing good. No issue there. Are you worried that in April, in like a big Champions League game, you won't be able to have him in the team because he's just burnt out or just destroyed? I have no idea how Zidane would answer that. Um, and from my, like, personally, I, I, I think it's, a ser- it's something we have to be seriously worried about I, I think back even to the think back to Zidane's this the Galactico season um, that White Angels book 2003 uh 04 season they were on track they were absolutely killing it first half of the season on track for the treble uh they made it to the Copa del Rey final they beat Bayern Munich in the Champions League and were on to the semifinals of the Champions League against Monaco which looked like all right we can get that done and they had an eight-point lead in La Liga but they literally played only that they only had 11 to 14 guys and played pretty much the same 11 the attacking guys it was all the same 11 the entire season and what happened by March April time frame it all fell apart they lost in the final of the Copa del Rey they lost their eight-point lead in La Liga and they crashed out to Monaco, even though they won the first leg, uh, they crashed out in the second leg. So like that's, if you don't rotate, if you don't integrate these other guys, like we're talking about, like those are the type of things that can happen. And we've seen it before in other seasons too, more recent seasons. We've seen Cristiano and Benzema hobble to the finish line in the champions league finals and not really do much. Um, and so that's like, that's the reality. So we have to, he has to be aware of it, but I think he's under, so he's been under so much pressure that he feels like he just has to keep winning to get the dogs off his back. Yeah. It's difficult. It's, this is maybe the hardest thing you do or have to do as a Real Madrid manager. And I think we're all guilty, you know, maybe me, especially of just kind of like acting like it's super easy to slot guys in, make it happen. Right. Like, you know, he puts in, let's say, Odriozola this game and Aspas scores the one versus one, right? You know, just something that wouldn't really change based on the players, but the variance changes, right? People are going to lose their minds, right? To be like, well, what are you 
doing, right? Like you can't put all in, right? So I understand that very much. I'm sympathetic to it. But especially because this is a pandemic season, like it's just wondering to me because Zidane knows this, right? He is the rotation coach, right? This is a new thing for him. He has to know at the back of his mind that he has to figure it out sometimes. It's just for me wondering how far he's going to push it because that's what I think he's doing right now. I think he's trying to push it as far as he can because he knows this will give me the results and just winning even one more game means so much, right? Like you can't underestimate that. But like at some point, Odegaard's got to come in, man, right? Like if we were, we, we kind of skipped the lineup discussion um, in the beginning, but to me, I was disappointed not to see Odegaard in the starting lineup. You know, he wasn't even really, um, I mean, he came on, right? You know, but by that point, the game was done. Um, like, and, you know, Odegaard coming on may mean, you know, hard decisions, whether that's Modric or Lucas Vasquez. And I would say Zidane loves Lucas Vasquez just as much as he likes Luka Modric, right? Like at some point, we got to think about that. And even if it's just to protect the main guys that he will still start in the big games, right? Because as much as we talk about Modric turning back the clock and all of that, he was saved by lockdown to a certain extent that allowed him to get his legs back under him. And if he just goes through this again, we've already seen what a younger, fitter version of Luka Modric looks like when you run him into the ground. And so I am worried about it, but I'm not going to say that, you know, what we're seeing now is just definitive that Zidane's never going to rotate. I, I think it would be kind of, you know, idiotic to say that. I think Zidane's smart. It's just about when he does it. And at the moment, I just don't think he's willing to do it because he, he has kind of the perfect formula working for him at the moment. And it's just harder. He has to think of new ideas, new solutions when he slots in guys who are different because Odegaard is not the same player as Luka Modric. He doesn't do the same things. Odriozola is not the same player as Carpajal. So I get it. I'm very sympathetic to him. But it's 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 we all know what needs to be done. It's just about the fact that actually doing it is is much harder um, than most people think it is. I also think it's worth reminding people what we've said on the podcast um, a couple times now, and it's worth periodically bringing this up that Mordech himself has said the best way for me to stay fit is to play. And um, look, I, I part of the reason I would be curious to ask Zidane about it is because I just want to know like what this, what the kind of the sports sciences, obviously they're being advised a certain way. And like, you know, I don't know either way. So it could very well be that if he doesn't play so often, he may get injured anyway, and probably may possibly even increase the, the rate of injury if he's not match fit, you know? So I, again, I don't, I don't know. I, I just, we've, we've just saw, we've seen this movie a couple of times before in our history. So it's worth just at least talking about, um, I think that's it. Okay. Last chance. Forever hold your peace. No. Okay. I think I've, I, I mean, after we're done, I'll find something to say, but for now I'm good. All right. We'll save that for part two. Part, uh, part two of this podcast is actually taking patron questions, which one came in, <clears throat> which I didn't get a chance to prepare for. Um, and I, and I wish I had a kind of just, I don't know. I don't know how to answer this. It's very important. It's very difficult to answer. Our patron, Marin Myrtle, says, a very important topic you guys brought up on Twitter. What's the best food during a game? For me, nothing was sauce, especially tomato sauce. Real Madrid like extra time drama too much. Bagels and toast are dry. Guaranteed to get caught in your throat when you're yelling and gasping. And nothing with a really strong flavor. When I'm nervous, my stomach is delicate. When you're not trying to make pasta last minute, what is your choice? Oof. Um, 
I, you know what? I, I don't really eat during the games, but I do get hungry at like halftime. This is like, for me, the game was at two today. So halftime's like three o'clock. So it's like that mid-afternoon lunch or not lunch, but snack after lunch. Uh, so what I usually do is uh, just like slice up some apples and do almond butter on it. And that's my go-to. Usually for me, it's whatever's next to me. So, you know, all the main stuff is down in the kitchen because uh, I live in a townhouse with roommates. So, you know, I got to walk up every time. And so I keep all my snacks near me. So right now I have this huge box of goldfish next to me oh. that, you know, is just a go-to. Um, but like for morning, like, because Primera Iberdrola games, right, with Ramadan Femino are so early. I like the egg sandwich. You know, I... It, it's good energy boost in the morning. Um, you know, Marin said something that's not, you know, I think overly flavorful or something, but I like, like to really season it up and like, you know, give me something in the morning to kind of like, I guess, stop the cravings. Um, I think eggs, eggs are a good way to go. They're quick to make. Um, you know, I might even do that sometimes, like if it's like a 12 PM game or something like that, because usually I skip breakfast. Um, it's not a thing I do. And I sometimes just eat breakfast foods for lunch. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's a go-to, but otherwise it's like at halftime and I don't have snacks near me. It's whatever's in the fridge and whatever I can warm up in three minutes. So I had some pizza, um, leftover. So I just ate that at halftime. I love how even Om turns this into a monologue. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) there's, there's nuance to everything. (laughs) I also knew that you were going to take exception to, uh, Marin's suggestion about flavor because you can't. You can't tell an Indian not to have flavor in your food. Like that's just <laughs> there's flavor everywhere. Um, yeah, I, I I'm kind of jealous of Matt's time zone because I think if you're if the games are two for you and the, this the this time slot has been pretty pretty regular this season, the three o'clock Eastern time zone, our uh, time slot, and uh, the thing is like it's really it goes three to five essentially is when the game is, then post-game pressers so this is a huge process and because then we do the podcast it's a big window to like cut into dinner time that's why i always like i always like being in spain for these games because the games are like at nine o'clock eight o'clock ten o'clock and so like you're not thinking about it then you know but i to me the correct answer really is no food no food during a game that's always how i like it because it when i was before i was journalist i was just too nervous to eat and now that I'm actually working during these games, I don't want to w- think about food. I just want to work, you know? That's my answer. Um, but but I'm, I'm kind of, I, I take the mat route. Fruit. Fruit is, is, uh, is the best, like, it keeps you focused. It's not like no sodium, no, like, empty carbs. It just keeps you focused. It gives you some nice micronutrients and you're focused. So that, that's where I go. Coffee and food. Um, patron shoutouts, I guess. That was the only question we got, which is uh, interesting. So, let's take some patron shoutouts, or let's 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 do take some time to do some patron shoutouts. So, as you guys know, if you pledge ten dollars or more, you get a specific shout out on the podcast. And just some housekeeping notes: Matt and I will be back on Tuesday, I guess, when we have some interesting things to talk about, including Regulon getting in some hot water with um, doing some partying and. I guess uh, disobeying some COVID restriction stuff. So 
We'll talk about that and more on Tuesday over on patreon.com slash managing Madrid. Also, Lucas and I will be back on the mailbag on Thursday for our patrons. And um, when, is, when is the Osasuna game? Is that midweek? No, it's weekend first. I think this is our first week of oh, that's this, right, a full break. Yeah, yeah. January the games are a little bit more spread out, so this one isn't until the ninth. So we have Real Madrid Feminino is back on Wednesday, though. Okay, all right. So that one is going to go on Patreon. So if you want access to that, Patreon.com/slash Managing Madrid. So um, shout out to our ten dollar plus patrons: Brandon Alvarez, Phoenix, G Wolf ninety four, S A Davisito, Willie Reed, Way Pairing, Tyler Simon, Tobias Arroyo Botcher. Tahmid Kalam, Sujai Wani, Robi Tahiev, Sad Omar, Somanchu Singh, Shabazz Sharapov, Sergio Arispe, Santos Lorzano, Said Mahad, Raul Gutierrez, Nick Ribeiro, Nick Lauer, Muxi Thangal, Mowgli, Michael Zinberg, Marin Myrtle, Martin Ridman, Magnus Lext, MJ Diego, Michael Cruchon, Leon Savernakis, Kunal Tilakar, Kevin Rivera, Karen Scherer, John Fernandez, Jeff Thurston, Jason Fitz, Graham Gerard, Gary Cohut, Frederick Grantakiro, Frederick Sundros, Faisal Hamdan, Eric Rogers, Eloy Enriquez, Daniel Williams, Christian Toft, Christian Gonzalez, Christian Acosta, Charles Williams, Brendan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Austin, Fiori Erdman, Ashik Bashar, Armando L, Anthony Lombardi, Anirud Singh, Alexis Sandiceros, Adam Dorsey, Al, Varun, Fabian Moreno, and Philip Hammer. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Matt, and thank you, Om. Till next time, Halamari. Hello Madrid. Hello Madrid.